<laughs> Good. Uh, last week that I I, um, I I brought the message on the husband's age shift, and I think the wives were all very, very blessed. Uh, today, uh, the husbands are going to be blessed as I speak about the wife's submission. Uh, you know, in, in, in July of... Uh, 1986 uh, you i don't know some of you may not uh maybe little kids by then uh, or, or were, were grown i'm not sure but in july of 1986 uh, prince andrew married sarah ferguson and uh, at the royal uh, wedding uh, uh, there was a little clip that got played in the news reels over and over again after the wedding and that is not a clip of the carriage coming up to Westminster Abbey or the processional uh, with a forever long train of the wedding gown that is very you know, common in royal weddings. It was a moment when Feggy uh, said the wedding vows and she was supposed to say, and these were the traditional vows that had been repeated by all royal couples uh, through, the, through the centuries. And she was supposed to say, I promise to love and to honor and to obey. And she repeated the words, but when she got to the word obey, she gave a smirk which was clearly caught on camera, like, you know, her face like turned a little bit. By which she probably meant, I would just say the word, but I don't believe it. I mean, why are we saying this out of tradition? Nobody practices these kinds of things anymore. You see, when we say or hear the words love, honor, obey at a wedding, and when we talk about submission, we don't have to look to or we don't have to look at royal weddings. Just think of your friends uh, at work or, or, or your relatives. Or, you know, how many just don't want those kinds of words? in their weddings anymore. Now culture, especially among the young, scorns at the idea of submission. It's like a dirty word. And as a result, many wives and Christian wives, especially, are really torn in tension when it comes to their role in the marriage. They don't know what it really means to submit. On the one hand, the Bible says submit, but they don't know if submitting is really the right thing to do anymore. So what is a Christian wife supposed to do? When is she supposed to submit, even if she does submit? And to what extent is she supposed to submit? Now, where does she draw the line? The plain answer of scripture is that a Christian wife is to submit. We just read it. The Bible says clearly, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. However, just shouting that to a woman and say, why do you submit? Or shoveling it down her throat is not going to cut it, right? The complexities of our age and time requires us to examine the scripture and to examine with extreme care what is said in Ephesians chapter 5, so that we find the right answers to these questions of a wife's submission. And our answers cannot be derived merely from personal opinion or defined by our background or our culture or our own family of origin. 
So I hope to help us see from scripture this morning what the Bible really means when it talks about a wife submission. And I like to use this outline for that. So if you're you taking notes and it's going to help you if you are taking notes, you've got to put down these three points. Okay, so this is the way we subdivide our message for today. Number one, the wife's duty. Number two, the wife's dignity. And number three, the wife's desire. Let me repeat that, okay? The wife's, number one, the wife's duty. Number two, the wife's dignity. And number three, the wife's desire. Now let's start with the wife's duty. Now the text that we just read is very clear. The duty of the wife is to submit to the headship of her husband. Now, allow me to give you the context of it, because if we read this out of its context, it really doesn't make sense. Now, the context of it begins in verse 21. Verse 21 is a, is a, where Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says that here, guys, submit to one another. Here it says that everyone is equal. Everyone submit to everyone. But it suddenly changes the tone quickly in verse 22 when it says, wives, submit to your own husband as to the law. Now, initially he says, everyone submit to everyone. It seems like, okay, wives submit to your husband, husband submit to your wife. Isn't that supposed what it's supposed to be? Then all of a sudden he zeroes in on the wife and he says, hey, wives, listen up. You submit to your husbands as unto the law. There's a certain shift from everybody submitting to everybody to the wife being singled out to submit to the husband. Now, the question then is why this sudden shift? And it kind of looks unfair. It's an unfair shift, right? Now, to understand what is happening here, we need to start looking from verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, your physical Bibles, that would be great for you to go to verse 18. If you are scrolling in your, in your device, then please take your device uh, to verse 18. Verse 18 actually sets the theme to what Paul is saying in the verses that are going to follow. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's great to read this verse. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy with the Spirit. So Paul is basically saying that the Christian is to be characterized by the things of the Spirit and not just be overwhelmed by the things of the world, like being filled with wine. So don't let the things of the world like wine control you, he's saying. Instead, be controlled by the things of the Spirit. And right after he says that, he goes on to define what it means to be filled with the things of the Spirit. And there are four things that he describes. Number one, to be filled with the Spirit is addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Verse 19, something that we did just now in our worship, although it could be better done if we were face to face. Number two, he says singing. Make melody in their heart with worship. That is verse 19b. Number three, give thanks, he says. You know, and then number four in verse 21, he says, part of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you are submitting to one another. Kids, come on. Yeah, somebody is on. Yeah, okay. Following this, 
Paul identifies three groups of people in the next verses. There are three pairs in the submission process. If you look carefully, there are three pairs there. The first pair is husband and wives, what we just read. The second pair is children and fathers. And then the last pair is slaves and masters. So does the phrase in verse 21, submit to one another, mean everybody submit to everybody? Or does it mean in the church, you are submitting to whom you should be submitting? That's a difference. So he's not saying everyone submit to everyone. When he says submit to one another, he means these three groups. He's particularly meaning three groups. You see, what Paul is saying is that, you know, you properly submit to the relationship that you are in. So if you look at these examples, it is obvious. Obviously, fathers are not to submit to their children. Masters are not to submit to their slaves. And Paul never says that. So there's never a removal of authority in the submission process, but there is a reorientation of authority, which is you submit. The, the authority is always for the good of the, of the other, which is what we talked about last week. So fathers, they are to use their authority for the good of their children. Paul goes on to say, do not provoke your children to anger. See, don't abuse your authority when it comes to your children. Use your authority for the good of your children. And children, you are to submit to your fathers. And while masters are not to submit to their slaves, they are to treat their slaves with honor. They are not supposed to abuse their authority. They are supposed to use their authority for the good of their slaves. And therefore, slaves, submit to your masters. So when you look at these verses, whether it is the husband-wife pair or the father-children pair or the master-slave pair, the undergirding virtue in this submission relationship is sacrifice. That those who have authority use their authority not selfishly, but sacrificially. Not abdicating authority, but using that authority for the good and the flourishing of another. So you, have this, so you have these authorities. You have the father, sorry, you have the husband, you have the father, you have the boss. But who is to benefit from these authorities? The other person. You abdicate your authority, you damage the other person. Now, some of you here are parents, and you understand this very well. If, you, if, if as a parent, you were to say to your child, I won't exercise authority over you anymore. You know, dear son, dear daughter, just do whatever you like. I'm not going to stop you. Your child will celebrate, but they will also be destroyed. Because it will amount to their damage. But to use the same authority selfishly will also damage the child. If you use that authority to provoke your child, to demean your child, to abuse your child, that will also be damaging your child. So Paul says, use the authority, yes, but sacrificially for the good of the other so from the context from this context you know that it is the wife's duty to submit to her husband even it is the duty of the children to submit to their parents and it is the duty of the employees to submit to their bosses now with that let me give you a biblical definition of submission and you may want to write this down Here's a biblical definition for submission. Submission biblically means to arrange one's gifts for the good of another person. Can I repeat that for you? 
submission from a biblical point of view means to arrange one's gifts for the good of another person. Now, the Greek word for submission is the word hupotasso. Let me spell it for you. H, if you have a piece, if you have a paper and pen, or if you are just typing your device, if you want to put this down, H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. And if you draw a horizontal line and then underneath put this is what to arrange under. That's what it means, to arrange under. The way our world thinks of a wife's submission is that she leaves her brain at the door of the church as she walks up to the aisles. And she announces to her husband, I will be a submitted wife. What she's saying is that from this day forward, I will not use my brain as far as you are concerned. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible's way of thinking is this. All that God has given to me as a wife, I am now to express them. My intelligence, my skills, my abilities, my talents, my gifts, my intuition, the way I'm wired up as a woman. All these I bring into the marriage. And as the husband is to use his authority for my good, to see that I am, that, so, so, to, to see that I'm made radiant and glorious, all these gifts that God has given to me, I bring into the marriage not to be suppressed, but to be expressed for the good of my husband, for the good of my family, for the good of my community. It is my duty and my honor as a wife to do that. Therefore, look, looking again at Ephesians 5.22, this is what Paul writes, wives submit, which means bring all of your gifts. That's what submission is. Bring all of your grief, grief, uh, gifts, not griefs. <laughs> bring all of your gifts and bring it under the authority of your husband and, and use it to bless your husband, use it to bless, uh, to bless your family. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, what does it mean? Again, following last week's pattern, like headship, submission does not mean nothing. You know, it's not something that you could just not think about, ignore. You cannot trivialize God's desire for the wife to submit to their husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, 24 says, now as the church submits to Christ, now that's very serious. The church is to submit to the Lordship of Christ, the headship of Christ. So also in the same pattern, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul says this is serious. Of all the things that he could tell the wife to do in a marriage, you know, Paul could have chosen to say many things about what a wife should do in a marriage. He says just one thing, submit. And he says, you are to submit as to the Lord. And the example he gives is the way the church submits to Christ. And the scope of that submission is in everything. So it is not just in certain things, but in everything. You bring all that you have been graced with as a woman, all that you have been gifted with to serve the good of your family to serve the good of your husband primarily and to serve the good of your children and then to serve the good of your community. That is the wife's highest calling and duty. Now, Paul is very serious about this. 
I tell you why he, I see that he see this because he mentioned the same thing in five books that he wrote, in five letters, in First Corinthians, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in One Timothy, and in Titus. That's how serious he is about this submission thing. And it's not just Paul. Peter also mentions the same thing in his book. If you think, oh, well, this is just a New Testament. Oh, no, it is also mentioned in the Old Testament. God is serious about this call for the wives to submit. It is their duty. So when Peter talks about it, he takes it all the way to Abraham and talks about Sarah's submission. But when Paul talks about the relationship between husband and wife, he goes all the way to Adam. So when the apostle, so what the apostles are doing is not specific to a culture. They're not saying it's just applicable to one city, in one culture, in one letter, at one time of Christian history. It is for all time and in everything. It is for every city and every culture. It is that serious. So submission, therefore, cannot mean nothing. It has to mean something. And it is a wife's call and it is her duty to explore the multiple ways to utilize all the gifts that God has given to her. And every wife has different kinds of giftings. But to utilize all of her gifts for the good, primarily for the good of her husband, and then for the good of her family and her community. Number two, first the wife's duty. Number two is the wife's dignity. Now because people believe in a world that feels like Women should have equal rights. We hear so much about this these days, uh, that she should have equal rights as a man. So, so when that, that kind of thinking is, is kind of like embedded into the mind of people, even the thought that a wife is to utilize and gives to support her husband can sound like she is a second to him. Like as though she exists only for him. How come my gifts are all for him? And what about me? So feminism says that once you make a woman subservient to men, you actually devalue them. You actually rob the dignity that God gives to them. And because we live in an age of feminism, spousal abuse, two-income households, equal opportunity laws, and gender-neutral political playing fields, it is hard to accept that the scripture says that, a wife, that it is a wife's duty to submit, to give herself for the good of her husband. Someone said that, that's what I tell my dog to do. Submit. And, he, and it's true. When, when you are a dog owner, owner, you give your dog a command like belly up and you expect the dog to drop everything that he feels. At that moment, he may feel I want to lie down and sleep for a while or just laze around or, or just don't bother about you. you know? But the moment you say belly up, you expect him to obey and do what I say. That's the reaction our culture has, you know, has when it comes to the word submission. It sounds demeaning. Listen, it is of course demeaning the husband suppresses the wife's giftings. And if he tells his wife, no, you cannot go out to work because it impacts my security. Or you must, you know, you, you can only be a stay-at-home mom. Or if he tells her, I only give you so much money to spend and there's no more for you. Or that you, she has no access to, to their bank account. 
or that she can only teach her kids what he tells her to teach. That puts a cap to her giftings, puts a cap to her talents, her potential as a wife. She's not able to use her gifts for anyone's good. And that is not biblical submission. That's oppression. That's demeaning, yes. That's demeaning the wife. That's robbing her of her glory. That's not bringing her into her radiance. And the wife then is free not to submit. Paul says the wife is to submit to the husband as the church submits to Christ. And the church submission to Christ never includes participation in evil. Christ never expects the church, you know, to, to run into, into to, to, to participate in evil as a matter of submitting to him. When a husband makes an unholy or ungodly demand on his wife, she is free not to submit. A husband has no right to require of the wife something that is contrary to what God requires of her. And she has no obligation to obey what forces her or, or him or their family against the will of God. Now, if you need to write something now, write this one, this down. Submission never requires a wife to sin. She is to submit to her husband only as she would submit to God. And the requirement to submit to one's husband never takes precedence over the requirement to submit to God. Therefore, a wife's dignity is never to be compromised in her duty to submit. Can I repeat that? The wife's dignity is never to be compromised in her duty to submit. Now, in case you think, why are only wives single out for submission in the Bible? How can the Bible only talks about the wife's submission? Now, that is not the case. In the Bible, the requirement of submission is not limited to women. There are various other places where the word submission appears. The word submission is used in relation to the church and Jesus. The church does not honor Christ by suppressing the gifts that God has provided to the church. Rather, God calls the church to arrange all of her, of her energies and abilities under the grand purpose of glorifying the Savior. To do less would, be, would, would not be submission. It would be disobedience. For example, for instance, the gift of music, the gift of arts. God has given this to the church not to be suppressed, not to be ignored, but to be fully expressed in praising Him, in, 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 in giving expression to the character and the goodness and the holiness and the grandeur and the greatness, the majesty of God. And to mute music or to mute art would be to deny God his due glory. The church submits to Christ without losing her dignity. Or if you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you can look at that. Let me read that to you. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So for us guys, men, what, is that word, what does that word mean there? In what way do you submit to the elders of the church? Does it mean that you check your brain at the door when you're talking to an older man? Like whatever the elder man says, just do it. With no questions asked. That's not what the Bible is saying. What it means is that you are to humbly honor the structures that God has put in place in the church. But it is not failing to be who you are. You submit to the elders without compromising your own dignity. 
Now, biblically, submission can mean challenging someone at times. Is you challenge them without disrespecting them or dishonoring them. For to challenge them arrogantly or pridefully is wrong, and God opposes the proud. Now, let me give you a quote here. This comes from Ken Hughes in his commentary in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and uh, let, let, me just, let me just read it slowly to you. We don't have any, any PowerPoint, so I just have to read it to you. But it says this, the fact that a wife wants to honor her husband's leadership does not mean that she will sit in mute silence. Questioning his reasoning or acquainting him with his error is not evidence of a rebellious spirit, but rather of love. Refusing to support his moral folly is not sin. A Christian wife can stand with Christ against her husband with a humble, loving spirit which indicates, which indicates her longing to honor his headship. This is Ken Hughes in his uh, commentary on the book of Ephesians. So in a marriage relationship, it is not submission to let your husband go unchallenged into his addictions. If your husband is addicted to porn or to gambling, or to alcohol, submission doesn't mean that you remain silent. It is not submission to let your husband make unethical business deals and stand around and do nothing to challenge him. It is not submission to let your husband decide on a particular move for you as a couple or a family that will lead to a future that will not bring shalom or flourishing to your family or to your marriage. John Stock, in his book, God's New Society, makes this, this, this statement about submission, a wife's submission. He says this, listen carefully. He says, if a husband abuses his authority or abandons his spiritual obligations, then the duty of a wife committed to her husband's good is no longer consciously to submit, but conscientiously to refuse to do, to do so. So people, submission is the arrangement of one's gift for the good of another. And they, that may actually mean you may need to challenge your husband sometimes, but not, without, but not by disrespecting him or by dishonoring him, but with the gifts and the mind that God has given to you, the intuition, the maturity sometimes, the prayers, you bring it to him and you stand up against him. And again, the wife does not do this for the sake of herself, but for the sake of her husband for his good and ultimately for God's glory. And in so doing, she does not compromise her dignity in her duty to submit to her husband. So what is submission again? If I put it another way, submission is pouring oneself into the sanctification and the completion of another. You, 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 the, the wife in a submission also takes responsibility to ensure that her husband is sanctified before God. The wife, when she's able to bring into the relationship her intellect, her skills, her talents, her gifts, her spiritual discernment, and her intuition. And guys, you and I know this. There are some things that your wives will feel at the gut that you never understand with your mind. I mean, they just have that sense of discernment. These things sanctify us. These things complete us as husbands. They make us more holy in the place. And when we allow our wives to do that, 
we bring them into their dignity and into their value while they are submitted to us. The biblical model of submission actually seeks to dignify Christian women by saying, you take all that is yours, don't suppress them, but express them to sanctify your husband, to complete him, and to bring shalom and spiritual flourishing to your family. Also that God is glorified. So each wife must determine how she can best bring glory, bring the glory of God to her, into the marriage. The Bible does not specify who drives the car. You never hear that. The Bible never says in, in the Bible, you, who drives the car, who pays the monthly bills, whether the wife should be staying at home or whether she could go out and hold a job. I mean, who should make coffee in the morning? You know, who, who should do the cooking? You know, who should wash the dishes? Nowhere does the Bible say, who should take out the garbage or who should carry the groceries from the car or who should do the marketing or who should make the bed or who should put the children to sleep or who should read the books to them. You know, there's a remarkable absence of prescription for the daily operations of marriage in the Bible. Did you realize that? You know, these are not things that we should fight about. It doesn't matter who does what in that sense. But there is one thing the Bible does say about husband-wife relationship. And that is in talking to the husband, he say, husbands, use your authority to make your wife glorious and radiant. And wives, arrange your gifts. Bring all of your gifts under your husband's headship to sanctify him, to complete him for his good and for the good of your family and for the glory of God. Do this dutifully, but ensure that you don't compromise with your dignity. Now I come to the last point. The wife's desires. Every wife desires to love her husband and to be loved by him. But how does a wife deepen her love for her husband? How does her love get deeper and deeper? When a wife invests in a in, in when a wife invests her life in supporting and affirming her spouse, her love for him will deepen. A wife who supports her husband through a crisis at work. Uh, or, or teaches her children to honor his authority, or, when, or, or yields to his decision during a family impasse because she's trusting his walk with God, that wife will be growing deeply in her love for her husband. Now, the scripture uses one word for all of that. It's an amazing word. It's a word every husband loves to hear. And that word is respect. You see, every woman who respects her husband loves her husband deeply. I know that my wife loves me because I know that she deeply respects me. Every woman who respects her husband will submit to him willingly. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33, look at it. It says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What you, when you read these verses, it looks like God is dealing with each gender at their point of weakness. You know what's the husband's point of weakness? Loving his wife. Because most men, in, their, in, 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 our, in our default fallen nature, we love ourselves first. We want to use the authority and strength that God has given to us to serve ourselves in a marriage. Every man is prone to sin in that way as a husband. And you know the wife? The wife is to respect her husband because while you may not have equal authority and strength as your husband, 
The wife's default fallen nature is to take control of him. And the way that she controls him always is by disrespecting him. And this always shows up in a conflict between husband and wife. Usually in a conflict, a wife may try to control, a man may try to control his wife by his strength and authority. He may shout at her. He may bang the table. He may break a chair. He may even hit her. And you know how the wife tries to control the man? By demeaning him. Now, I'm not teaching you to do these things, please. All right? By demeaning him, by becoming sarcastic, by taunting at his ego, by getting cynical. These are control mechanisms for a woman, and it always works. It always works when a man is, is disrespected. Women are very clever in using a demeaning look. You know, the way a woman can look with her eyes, it's piercing. I mean, she just knows the right way to look at you that makes you feel totally disrespected. You're just broken on the inside. Or just a right cutting remark. We guys don't have the power to use the words the way that they can. The right cutting remarks, the accusations, or an embarrassing reminder to just diminish the man to make him look less sure of himself and more controllable. Now, insecure men react to their sense of being diminished by becoming more dominating. And this in turn gives a wife more opportunity to needle, to shame, which subsequently triggers more abuse. Then the marriage becomes a daily tug of war for power. This, when this happens, you must see a counselor. So, a wife's method of control is to diminish the man's ego. And the husband's method of control is to dominate her. This is generally true. Both responses are very damaging and both are unbiblical because husbands are not supposed to dominate. They are supposed to use their authority for the wife's good. And wives are not supposed to disrespect their husbands. Without giving your husband that respect, he cannot be what he needs to be. And where there's no respect, you cannot love your husband or be loved by him. It's humbling, guys. Let me tell you this. It's humbling for a man to say to his wives that the way that God has wired him up, that for him to actually be able to function in his role as a husband and a father, he desperately needs her respect. You've got to be vulnerable enough to go and tell your wife that. That he cannot be what God intends him to be if he doesn't have the wife's respect. You see, there has been many times in my life in ministry when I knew that I didn't have the support of too many people. Now that came to a climax once in 2001, that's about 19 years ago, when my church went through a major crisis. I ran into, a, into huge problems with my associate pastor, whom I was grooming to be my successor. Now he, one weekend, when I was, at that time I was in the States uh, uh, and away from the church, but I received a call that that particular Sunday that he had taken over a hundred people to start a new church on his own. And I was totally unaware of it. Many people in the church were not aware. You know, it's quite a way of, to plan a church. Not the right way, definitely. Suddenly, my church was torn. And I had to fly back. And then I knew that with many people, I was losing their respect for me. 
in the way that I had dealt with the whole situation. Uh, I, I, and I, but I also knew at the same time that my wife was unwavering in her belief in me and in her respect for me. She never once used the situation I was in to demean me or to doubt my calling. She told me, she said that I should listen more to people. I should be less reactive. She told me, you know, that what my weaknesses was is that I don't listen enough to what is going on on the ground. And that is why this has happened. But she did it with great respect for me still. And that was such a strength for me. I felt like it really didn't matter if the whole world didn't think anything of me. As long as I had the respect and the trust of my wife, it is enough for me. And her gifts of steadfastness and steadiness towards me got me up on my feet again to be the man that I needed to be. And I knew at that time that if I didn't have a respect, I got virtually nothing. On the reverse, or the reverse could have been true of me as well, that if I didn't have a respect, I would have sought to find that respect from somewhere else because I knew at that point that I was so vulnerable I mean, I used to go to bed with an ache in my heart and I used to tell my wife and confess to her that I have all these terrible sexual fantasies that is sweeping through my mind night after night, you know, because I was just so drained emotionally. And, and every night she would hug me to sleep so that she could keep me sanctified. Ladies, I want you to see this. Do you realize that your husband, the man that, you know, that, that God created, his beloved, that God has wired him up such that it is you who can give him strength. Just by you respecting him, just by you honoring him and pouring your life with all of your gifts and strength into his life, especially when he is weakened when he's losing the respect of the world, when he's battered up at the workplace, when he's under financial strain, when, 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 when the job that he's in, which somehow affects his identity, is being shaken, that you will be there to be his strength. How beautiful is that? And how valuable that makes you to be and how dignifying that is to your womanhood. Many wives don't realize that their husbands need their respect. Husbands often don't appear to need needy a lot of times. I mean, this, the way they are as men, they hide their vulnerability. And, and, and wives, this is your husband's greatest need, your respect for him. It empowers him. And when he doesn't get it from you, he is broken. You may think your husband gets all the affirmation he needs from his job or his ministry or his achievements or his success, but what he really needs is you affirming him, is you respecting him. Once you make it your goal to affirm your husband and show him respect, your marriage will take a whole new turn. Now, what if you are married to a man who is the problem? What if he does not deserve the respect? Because there are such cases. For all of its worth, people, verse 33 is very helpful with that question. 
Ephesians 5.33 says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word respect, the Greek word respect, also appears again in verse 21. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word reverence is the same Greek word for respect they use verse 33, which means uh, you can translate verse 33, let the wife see that she reverences her husband. Wow, that's, that's, that's getting it to another level. I mean, every wife knows the husband doesn't deserve that. I mean, we understand how and why we should honor our Savior and give him reverence. And why would Paul say a wife should reverence a husband when no man is worthy of such a regard? Now, I tell you why. Listen carefully. It is because the Bible regards headship as a holy office in the home. It's a priestly, prophetic, kingly office in the home. And therefore, no one should slight what the Bible says we should revere. You should revere not so much the man, but the office. The wife has, should have holy reverential obligations when it comes to her attitudes and actions towards the husband's office. Also, the apostle uses the word reverence to underscore that a husband, as a spiritual head of the house, must eventually give account to God one day for the way that he nurtures his family. It is so holy an office that on the great day of the Lord, every husband must account to how he has led his wife and how he's led his family. That's how holy it is. Therefore, the wife must reveal the seriousness of her husband's office. God is going to call your husband to accountability on the great day. And the holiness and the gravity of his obligation to lead the wife and the family into glory are so awesome that they require an honor, even though he carries them out imperfectly. So any wife who despises her husband's headship is despising the God who has given him that office. And at the end of the day, God will judge him. So now the wife is called to respect him. Now, let me close with this story. Ann Judson married Adoniram in 18 and 12 when she was 23 years old. And two weeks later, they embarked on their, on their mission trip to India. The following year, they moved on to Burma, which is Myanmar today. In those days, there was huge tension that arose between England and the local authorities, and missionaries were often thrown into prison. Adoniram, Adoniram was thrown in a cell so crowded with prisoners that they only had standing space to sleep. They were deprived of sanitation, water. Oftentimes he was hung from the thumb. And Adoniram survived only because of the words of his wife. Now Anne would visit him in prison. It was dangerous for women to visit prisoners at that time because of the abusive jeers that would come from the guards. And, but she would go anyway. While other wives were afraid to go see their husbands in prison, she would go to see him. And with her eyes, she would pour love through the prison bars and she would refresh his soul. And this, she left him every time with these words. Do not give up, Adonira. You are God's man. I believe in you and God will give us the victory. So when hope died in others, these oft-repeated words kept Adoniram alive in the, in the prison. Then suddenly one day the visit stopped. 
for days and then months and didn't come to visit him. And I don't know him, didn't know why she had stopped coming. Once the anticipation of visits kept him alive, but now the concern for her about where she is and what's happening to her drove him to survive day by day. When there was a change of government, Adoniram was released and he began a desperate search for his wife. And he soon learned that Anne was dying and that she was in a government assigned tent. He went to see her. He met a woman so filthy that he initially could not recognize as his own wife. Her body was shrunken by disease and malnutrition. She had lost all of her hair and she was left immobile. But when she saw her husband, she recognized him. And one more time, she told him this, Adonirim, do not give up. You are God's man and I believe in you and God will give us the victory. Adoniram Judson took his dying wife's words words of encouragement as a charge from God and millions in Burma came to know the Lord as a result and hundreds of churches were planted that spread all the way to Northeast India and that part of the world became Christian. And Anne Jackson died at the age of 36 but she died pouring her life, her gifts, her graces, her strength to serve the good of her husband. She fulfilled her duty as her wife and she did it with great dignity because nothing is more valuable to a woman than to see God use her to strengthen her man. And she did it with deep love for her husband that came from her reverential respect of his calling and his leadership in his life. And I pray, guys, I pray this will be true of every wife who's listening in today. The Lord bless you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Our dear Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your word, the precision of it, the timelessness of it, the fact that, Lord, that it runs across seasons and ages and cultures and people groups. Father, Lord, that when we know your word for all of its worth, oh, Father God, it liberates us. It sets us free, oh, Father God, to be who we need to be. And I pray, oh, Lord, for every husband, every wife, every husband-to-be, every wife-to-be who's tuned in this morning. Father, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts, that we will aspire to exercise the headship that you've given to us as husbands for the good of our wives and our children, our families. And as wives, Lord, that we would aspire to submit to our husbands without compromising our dignity. Father, you do not call us to submit so that we participate in evil or sin. You call us to submit, Lord, to bring all the gifts that you've given to the woman so that she will use it, O oh Father God, for the good of her husband, her children, and her community. I pray, O oh God, that as that respect is bestowed upon the husband, that he will be blessed. And as the husband continues to exercise the authority of his wife, O oh Father God, by bringing her into radiance, that that will bless the wife and 
in that dynamic, Lord, families will flourish, the gospel will be displayed, and Lord, that the church will be strengthened. And the city, Lord, will know that, Lord, that we who belong to you are people who are different because of what Christ has done for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.